AI, a rapidly evolving field that has the potential to transform every aspect of our lives, from the way we work and communicate to the way we think about and solve problems. Join me as I chat with the movers and shakers in the industry about the latest advancements in AI and how they're changing the way we live, work, and interact with technology. My name is Kevin Rosenquist. Welcome to Zero Shot. My guests today, Arman Asadi, founder and CEO of Steno AI, an AI-driven market intelligence and search platform using generative AI to fully transcribe podcasts, making the information in them easily accessible. Arman, thanks for being here. Thanks, man. Much appreciated. Uh, how was my broad strokes description of I, Steno AI? Did I do it's okay? Perfect, because right. now I don't have to tell you anything else. It's it's kind yeah, of yeah, that's right. Uh, Podcast well, over. How was how was the copy? That's really the question. It was AI. Yeah, that's true. So. That's true. <laughs> well, let's flesh it out more. Tell, talk about yeah. what this product is providing people. So there's this black box that's been bothering me for a long time, and that was sort of the inception of the product. You know, I listened to a ton of podcasts. I've run a bunch of different types of startups and companies, and um, I think that the best material that exists today is spoken word, right here, right now. You know, you interview these great experts, or you have so-and-so scientist goes on Joe Rogan or Andrew Huberman and has a great conversation with Lex Friedman, only for it to be stuck in this audio file. And when I saw that problem, I thought to myself, okay, cool, there's an interesting use case here for making it more accessible, maybe we do summaries, maybe we do transcripts and things like that. But I went a lot deeper into that and I realized the part that I care about the most is helping other companies, helping other businesses. So still something that an everyday person, podcast listener could utilize. They can go to steno.ai right now and we have something like, oh man, I wanna say a few hundred thousand episodes transcribed right now. So pretty much your favorite podcast should be there. And if it's not, send me an email or Twitter DM and let me know and we'll add it. And transcribed right there, you can save your highlights, You know, full functionality available. But what we're really building here is a proprietary data set and we're pulling in all different types of sources. We're gonna expand beyond podcasts to YouTube and TikTok and Instagram Reels and uh, make this a searchable platform for competitive intelligence and market research. And there's a lot of utility for a lot of companies uh, in this space to be able to do something like that. In fact, if someone runs a company out there right now and wants to talk to me about it as well, I would also invite that because we're really learning a lot about um, the use cases of what you could possibly do if you understood who was talking about you and your product out there mm. in the world. That's interesting. Because yeah. again, there's just no other way to know unless you go and listen to the podcast. And there are certain tools out there in the Web2 world that kind of attempt to do something like this. There's SEO tools like SEMrush or you know Ahrefs or whatever, but this is for a new world, utilizing generative technology. And um, I think the sky's the limit for us. I'm, I'm obviously super pumped about about what we're doing. Wouldn't be doing it if I, if I wasn't. And, um, <laughs> yeah, it's just nuts, as you know. This whole thing is just moving at such an insane um, rate of change and speed and, and technology innovation that it's really just a matter of staying focused on, on what is the biggest problem that you can uniquely solve. And that's the one that, it, you know, that's what it is for us right now. Yeah, I think that's really you brought up something that I didn't really think about is the 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 side of companies and 
businesses, products, whatever, knowing what's out there about them too. I, I didn't think about that aspect of it. If, you know, the research angle, the information angle for just being able to research a, a subject or a person, it makes sense. But, but that's a cool, that's a cool add on for businesses. Yeah. I mean, say you're, um, already doing a lot of, uh, influencer partnerships or podcast advertising, say you're, you're hello fresh or your athletic greens and you're already spending a lot of money and you wouldn't be if you didn't know that this was a lucrative positive return on investment advertising platform um, podcast advertising just broke over a billion dollars uh, excuse me it broke a billion dollars last year and then I think it doubled to something like two billion immediately yeah, I think after it went the up next pretty year. high yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's just huge so you're already spending a lot of money and it's lucrative, but what about the what about the podcasts and the people that are mentioning your product and you're not even paying them? So what that serves for a lot of companies, as far as what I've learned from these companies, is that there's a partnership opportunity there. If somebody's already mentioning your product, you're going to want to send them more. You're going to want to develop a deeper partnership with that person. Say you uh, have a standing desk. Autonomous is a cool company that does like standing desks. If you see somebody in a podcast studio using your desk or talking about it, you're going to be like, I'm going to send you a custom walnut one. And then you send that to them for like 500 bucks and then they're talking about it to their audience and how badass it is. But say somebody's talking about uh, your competitor. Well, that's an opportunity for you to better educate that audience of another solution that exists. Say they're not talking about your product or your competitors, but they're talking about topics related to your industry. You don't even know. You have no idea who's talking about generative AI right now on a podcast. Who's talking about uh, the uh, sort of like boom in podcast advertising right now. And if you could just search podcast advertising and see who's talking about it, then you can develop marketing materials. You can determine what your next podcast topic should be. I mean, again, you, it's the fastest way to get to the cutting edge of the conversation because the only thing we have right now really is Google. And now we have ChatGPT, thank God, you know, the new God of the internet. But this <laughs> isn't happening at an almost instantaneous rate. And what we're doing is we're taking that podcast as soon as it comes out putting it into our database, making it searchable, and then providing intelligence layers on top of that to extract insights to make it useful. So so there's a lot of use cases that I haven't even thought of. And that's mm-hmm. what I'm most excited about is like, w- what will companies do with this stuff? Um, how lucrative well, can it be? Well, as a podcaster myself, I mean, that is an interesting thought too, because you know, I have a- another show and we, we often you know talk about products and businesses without any sort of, you know, any sort of uh, marketing that we don't get anything for it. We just part of our shtick or part of our conversation, you know, something comes up and, you know, I mean, if that would be pretty cool if someone reached out to us and said, Hey, we, you, you were talking about us. Let's, let's discuss uh, maybe a partnership. That'd be amazing. Well, dude, let me tell you an example from my podcast. Um, so I'm a co-host, one of four co-hosts of the Alfalfa podcast. We talk about AI a lot. We also talk about just sort of like, where's the alfalfa in money and life? And um, we also drink, <laughs> as you know, as you noticed. And, and we booze it up. And we have some good, you know, occasionally good wine, good beer, good good whiskey. And we were drinking mezcal. some wine. We talked mezcal. about mezcal. Yeah, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. We, mm-hmm. exactly. And we were... Um, 
we were drinking wine and I and I don't remember exactly the inception of the story, but I think we were talking about hangovers and like, you know, we were being really bougie about like, oh, you gotta drink old world wine that's like, you know, got 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 less sulfites and you wanna prevent the hangover and all this stuff. And then someone was like uh, talking to us about dry farms wine. And then someone shipped us, gifted us a box. One of our listeners gifted us a, a, a huge box of Dry Farms wine. Then we started talking about it. And then Dry Farms wine was told through our listeners through Twitter that we were talking about them. And then they got in touch that way. But imagine if you could do, and that happened almost serendipitously. Then they got in touch. We taught, we start, we're now we're talking sponsorship. They're sending us more wine. We have a partnership now with these guys. So imagine if you could do that more upstream, more proactively. I think it's it's like a huge unlock for a lot of companies like a Dry Farms wine. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really, yeah. really cool. What's your what's your background? How did how did you find yourself in the in the wild world of AI? Oh man. So um, <laughs> I've always been a techno optimist. Um, I love technology. I've been playing with computers and building them since I was a kid. I'm, I'm not a programmer, um, not an engineer, but always been most fascinated by just like product building. Um, I love product marketing in general. Um, I spent a long time in the world of like media, digital marketing, um, consulting with companies to do product launches. Uh, before this, I was in. Uh, e I had an e-commerce company as well, but also always sort of like interlaced with the component of technology. So we developed a mobile application. There was some machine learning components in that mobile application. Uh, I was introduced to like reinforcement learning many years ago, and like really trying to understand feedback loops and how people learn and how people uh, can become just sort of more evolved over time by being aware of their habits. So yeah, my background is is kind of been this progression of starting uh my career started at google uh i started on the google apps which is now google suite gmail team for businesses and then i moved on to um, google commerce as an operations manager i helped lead the initiative that started i basically piloted what became google offers because uh, when groupon said no to google for like eight billion or something google was like all right we'll just do it ourselves and that was fun but I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. So when Google Offers started to basically close down, um, you know, I had opportunities to go to like different startups or to go into a different division of Google. But I took a trip to Cuba um, with who's now my wife and over Hemingway daiquiris decided like, you know, F it, I, I wanna do my own thing. And it's been 11 years since then. So it's been a progression of, education startups, technology uh, startups, um, consulting with a lot of startups, and then e-commerce and mobile applications. Um, spent a little bit of time um, as well, just like in crypto, but was like, eh, that's that's not really my my thing. Um, and I quickly, you know, Steno I started a couple years ago, actually, at this point. And uh, it was only, say, last year, that I really started to see the bigger opportunity and go full time into it. So I've been all the way on Steno now for about six or nine months. And um, yeah, it's like, I can't think about anything else anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You, you have a, a fairly small team, right? Yeah, we're about six people. Okay. 
Okay. Yep. What uh, you know when you when you think about where Steno is going to go and and you you know you're going to expand. I mean, obviously you can't have a good product without good people. You know, what qualities do you look for when you're bringing on somebody? Yeah, good question. I was just talking to one of my um, founding team members about this, and you know, he was asking me like, "What are we looking for?" Um, the first most, you know, and I've done a lot. Like one of my last companies, I grew to 25 full time, plus another like 15 contractors. Once you get to about 20 to 22 people, I think is the magic number. Culture starts to break down. You um, you lose that startup magic, and it's because you bring in middle management, like managers. Yeah, that um, makes sense. And everyone hates managers. Sure. And 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 it's just like it kind of kills the fun and and all that. So those first five to ten people are absolutely absolutely critical. And for as long as I can, my intention is to keep the team nimble and small intentionally. I do not want to build like a multi hundred person team unless it's necessary, unless we are at that place and we're serving the enterprise, which we, we absolutely might. Uh, we absolutely are on our way to doing that. But I think keeping it really nimble. So what that means is that people need to be very entrepreneurial, be, have the ability to work autonomously. Um, and the characteristics that I look for, for the most by far um, is intelligence and grit. Like how smart and how hardworking are you? That's literally all I really care about. I believe the rest is easy to learn. Um, I do think there's absolutely a case for role-specific knowledge. Like if I'm hiring a back-end developer, like sure, I need that person to know Python really well. Um, that's role-specific knowledge that goes without saying. But in terms of characteristics, man, it's like the smarter you are and the more hardworking you are, the better. And that doesn't mean you need to run circles around me in terms of the number of hours you're putting in. Hard working is not an input of time. It's an input of energy and focus. How focused, how much do you elevate the people around you? How much do you embarrass me? I want to be embarrassed by the people <laughs> around me. I'm serious. It's, it's, it's yeah. funny, but it's, it's like if I hire somebody or if I work with somebody or if I bring on a, a founding team member who embarrasses me, that's the person I want to work with. And is that clear what I mean by embarrasses yeah. me? No, it totally okay. is. I, yeah, yeah it's and like, I, I like that distinction feel... between time and and the and the energy too. I think that's something that sometimes we forget. You know that that it, just because you're working sixty hours a week doesn't necessarily make you hardworking. It just makes that's, you that's right long working. <laughs> and I don't manage people. I'm not going to manage people. I'm not going to be like this is not at the level that it needs to be. It either is. And you 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 elevate the rest of the team, or it's not, and you should be at a different company. Uh, mm -hmm. You should be at a place where that's acceptable. But in a generative technology startup that is trying to develop game-changing tech and really make a stamp on the marketplace, there is no. Am I allowed to? I, I throw a lot of f bombs and things like that. I'll try not to. Um, it happens. <laughs> there 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 is no freaking time for. <laughs> This is not at the level that it needs to be. Um, so I'm not going to sit there and look and like I, I try to do I try to do test working relationships as much as possible too. 
Like, let's just work together. Let's be iterative. Let's see how this goes. And you quickly know I've learned within two weeks whether this person is right for your team or for you, or whether if you're on the other side, if you're the the employee or you're joining a founding team or a startup, like you'll know quickly, like I want to work with this founding team or not. Um, we're either on the same page or, or, or we're not. But yeah, like when you're under 20 people, you should not be managing. They, everyone needs mm-hmm. to be driving that business forward, bringing their absolute best every single day, thinking about the space, staying on top of the space, staying aware of the competition and moving and building a product that people absolutely love. I think there's been a little bit too much focus lately on what's the competition doing. There's all this constant talk, especially in startup land and and venture land. What's your defensibility? What's your moat? You know, everyone's so worried with AI. This is so easy to replicate or so-and-so is gonna do this, but like, yes, yes, and? Um, build something people love. Like, get to market and 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 help people fall in love with your product, and get a stranglehold on the market that way with just incredible product market fit. Defensibility and things like that come with time. Sometimes you can't map that out perfectly from day one. We have our version of that, the way we think about our tech stack, the way we think about our data, the way we want to work with companies to source data that makes the platform more valuable for everybody as a whole. You know, network effects, really love that concept and tapping into that. But at the end of the day, you still got to build a badass product (laughs) and and, and people don't spend (laughs) enough time on that. Yeah, they're they're too busy crunching numbers and not working on the actual product itself. Yeah, or very yeah. focused on distribution. Um, and I think distribution can also be great, especially in this space. There's also the opposite problem where people are a little too focused on the product and not focused on distribution and marketing. Sure, you need a balance. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this 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 stuff's hard. <laughs> it's really hard. What what kind of challenges do you do you, do do engineers face in this rapidly evolving field? What what do you see is, is, as far as like how what makes how can they rise above in the you know in the competition with the with the changes that happen so frequently? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such a good question. Uh, I think that the biggest sort of thing they need to stay on top of and the biggest challenge is adaptability so some engineers are very uh, focused and proud of the skills that they already have now don't get me wrong most people like who become engineers are very curious people very intelligent people people that just like have an insatiable desire to learn and grow but sometimes I I find that like senior uh, engineers and developers get a little comfortable because they have expertise now and they can build. Mm. But tech stacks are changing, modalities are changing, things are rapidly evolving. Um, When you look at these like open source models that are available right now or the APIs that are available, the general AI models that everyone is building on top of, they're coming out of the ground like, like overnight. 
I mean, every day, you know, like one one is leaked on 4chan, and then the next day it's like something else happens. And um, your ability to also be flexible and adaptable in your tech stack, and and this is something that I talk to my team a lot about a lot, is that guys like whatever we're utilizing today and whatever we've built on top of it, please make sure that we are staying nimble and that we are able to change on a dime at a moment's notice. And the reason for that is that these technologies are deploying rapidly, but also there is the opportunity, and and it's very likely that the next technology that does enter the marketplace is an order of magnitude better than the previous one. Hmm. If, Mm -hmm. If that's the case, and you don't jump on that immediately, you will get swallowed up by the market of people that are new, that see that opportunity, build on top of that new technology, and then all of a sudden you got usurped overnight after five years of building your product. So flexibility is is incredibly important. That's not easy though, because it's hard. It's hard to change uh, and to be that nimble. So I think flexibility in AI is, is, is critical. Yeah, that makes sense. What what is the I'm not a I'm not the biggest techie guy in the world. I'm a podcast host, but what can you describe the tech used with Steno? Somewhat. Um, so one of the tools that we use is uh, Whisper. So Whisper is an incredible open source model by OpenAI uh, that does automated speech recognition. Now automated speech recognition has been around for a while. Uh, previously, there was another open source model called Caldi, and um, you know th- this stuff. This stuff has been around, but Whisper came out in September of 2022, and when it did, and when I read the paper and saw the samples, and we started playing with it, it was an immediate recognition of what I just described. It was an order of magnitude or so better than what we had built, and. It was open source. It was freely available to build on. And a lot of companies like what they did with GPT, like if you look at Jasper, for example, really, really cool story of a startup that timed it perfectly. In fact, you know, the funny thing about Jasper and and myself and us is like kind of similar background, you know, spending a lot of time in product land and marketing and just understanding internet technologies as a whole, these founders have a really cool story. And and also the fact that I saw this picture, they had this like, they had no money, this big check, then all of a sudden they're this billion dollar company basically overnight. It's a really cool story. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Jasper is, is, you know, they they saw GPT-2 at the time, I believe, and built a wrapper around it. So taking the model and building a wrapper around it to serve a function for marketing in in the workplace, specifically copywriting. And that sprouted also copy AI and a lot of other companies that took these models and built wrappers around them. That it, to me is, I agree with a take that I saw recently by James Courier from NFX, that that is the first wave of AI. The first wave of AI is the wrappers. The second wave of AI, I don't think it's enough today as a founder to simply create a wrapper. I think you have to create an application. And that application needs to have, uh, needs to serve a specific function 
for a consumer or a function in a department in the workplace. Could be small business, mid-market, enterprise, doesn't matter. But if you look at, uh, there was a chart that went around an infographic recently of like, here's the the sort of like lay of the land of, of generative AI startups, and here's the function that they serve. Maybe I'll find it and you can include it um, in the great. workplace. Um, maybe there for human resources, maybe there for marketing, maybe there for sales. Um, there's all these different applications being built, call centers, customer service, right? How can you utilize AI to not be the product, but to be the foundation of the application? And then how can you build on top of that? So the next layer of AI might be, um, you got the base model, say you're building on GPT or Whisper or whatever that might be. But then what are you building on top of that becomes the question. And how do you tap into network effects so that the entire ecosystem, the algorithm, improves as a result of a user joining the platform or by providing some sort of feedback or data to the platform? So to give a simple example, um, like Waze app, when you use Waze, you're providing feedback and what that does is you say there was an accident here or there's a cop over there. That makes the platform more useful for everybody. And that's instantaneous right. network effects. It's a really, really good example. Not everybody can do that because the business just doesn't, won't work in that way. But if you can emulate what Waze does, um, I, I think that's that's kind of the the shot to be, to be going for. So for us, yes, we utilize Whisper. Uh, we're going to be utilizing uh, GPT-4, which as of the time of this recording, it's March 17th, you know, just came out. What was that? Yesterday? Day before yesterday? Yeah, two days ago, I think. Yeah, yeah two days ago. Um, you know, obviously you can play with it right now in, in chat GPT premium and it's freaking rad. And I, I was going to ask you what your thoughts were on that because I, I was playing around with it too and it is, it's to me, it's a pretty step, pretty pretty solid step up from, from GPT-3. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is like now you don't have to go to uh, Dolly or Whisper to, you know, you, it's all in one place. It's multimodal. Right. And like that is really exciting for people. And the fact like I'm sure you saw the demo. So it's like sketch something out. Boom. Here's yep. the design. Um, give me the code like boom, you know, deploy, deploy, deploy. So like speed of innovation is going to be absolutely freaking nuts. Um, I saw a funny one that someone are, posted where they showed a picture of groceries and it spit out recipes that you could make with what you what you had there. Yeah, and, and I mean, and, and it's, it's it's wild. That kind of stuff's cool. It's just it's totally wild. I mean, I, I I think just doing like putting stuff in for for copywriting or blogs or things like that. I think that four really is a better. It just sounds more like us as people than three did. Now that's maybe mm. bad news for certain people out there, but you know, but it is. It really is to me, sounding a lot more professional and a lot a lot more polished in, in four. Absolutely. And every single day, there's a new incredible startup or project popping up utilizing these models. So I can only, yeah. I, I can't even begin to predict like how incredible the innovation that comes from this is going to be. Um, it's, it's wild. And if I'm not mistaken, I think, you know, ChatGPT is a lot cheaper 
than GPT, you know, API three was, or I don't know what the cost of four will be, but um, it's a lot cheaper. And so I, I want to say it's like a tenth of the cost, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, but it's also not cheap. And so there are other open source models out there that will compete and mm -hmm. maybe make the landscape even more accessible. So the winners so far are the ones that raise a lot of capital or get distribution very quickly. And speed is critical, critical yeah. in AI, as I already kind of alluded to. As we can so, see. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's all coming so fast. Totally. And, and part of it might just be a really good marketing campaign on Twitter and some tweet threads that get people's attention. And then overnight, you've got, you know, a great user base that you can work with and, and develop, you know, iteratively for um, to help you achieve product market fit. But yeah, sky's, sky's the limit, man. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I don't have the words for how impressed I am. It's, it's remarkable. Um, I, do, I, I think the right way to say it is like, I don't. I still don't even fully grasp like what's in front of me. Like I yeah. haven't sat down, and, and that's like, you fully saying that someone out. who's involved yeah. in it very heavily. So, yeah, yeah. There's, what, there's what a is lot. the what? What's the most impressive thing you've seen in action so far in AI? Ooh, I don't know about impressive, but the my favorite was when was when ChatGPT came out, and there was one floating around on Twitter. It was just a text generative one. It was just so funny. I, I just can't forget it. It was like something about um, a, a piece of toast. Like, tell me a, a, a story about a piece of toast or a peanut butter sandwich, I think it was, in the voice of the King James Bible. And it was like the wow. funniest, the funniest thing ever. And it even ended with like this, like very biblical, beautiful, like life advice, and this had this whole motif to it. And the reason that stood out to me, and what really has shook me with with AI in general, is that um, I always thought and was always told that the thing that would go last was creativity. And what has shocked me is that's the thing that goes first. Mm -hmm. So everyone always said AI is going to automate human um, sort of workflows and will take over a lot of uh, labor physically on the robot side, on the AI side. It will just be like uh, arithmetic and, and accounting and all this kind of stuff. You know, creative writing, um, expression, human creativity that is instilled from the muse, that will go last. And it's like, no, are you kidding me? Like the stuff that is being released right now with the right prompt is better and more creative than some of the most creative people I've ever met. So that's shocking and scary that it can write in the voice of Shakespeare and I can't even do that. I can't right. do that. I'm not as smart it's that simple like am i as smart in one specific area could i beat it in the um lsat or on the sat like yeah maybe for now today for now yeah <laughs> for now okay and that's one specific area Ooh, great uh if i'm not mistaken gpt4 scored between an 80th and 100 percent 
on basically every college level exam and postgraduate level work that yeah, he was doing. Yeah, law exams too, yeah. yeah. I saw that yeah. too. So it's like, so that's that's that. But look at how multidimensional it is. The fact that it's that intelligent across so many different realms, creative writing, tax law, uh, development, um, copyright. I mean, it's just, it's 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 unreal. It's too much. <laughs> and well, on that, on the heels of that, I, I've always interested to hear what people say about about you know the fears. You know, uh, you know, there's yeah. a lot of people, obviously, whether it's talking about losing jobs, plagiarism, or of robots becoming sentient and enslaving humans. Who know? Depending on how deep you want to go with it, you know, what do you what do you say to people who are expressing fears to you about the technology? Well, there's a host of fears. One of uh, the basic fear that people have is around the um, the job market and leaving no work for humans. The existential fear uh, is like the Terminator, Skynet sort of, you yeah. know, take over our, us. And 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 a lot of work that very smart people are doing around AI alignment and how it aligns with human values. I am least concerned around uh, us having things to do and it being uh, sort of net negative to our economy or to the individual. I think the economy will adapt, human beings will adapt, uh, new work will be created. It's just happening faster than ever before and more jobs will be uh, rendered sort of obsolete more quickly than before because of where we are on the sort of exponential curve that we're sitting on with technology. And <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you know, you, everyone's heard of Moore's law, sort of like every year and a half, two years, we're sort of doubling the pace of innovation, but we're, we're even beyond that now um, in, in certain fields like, like an AI. So I'm not too worried about that because like the economy like is not going to allow gross GDP and innovation to just slip and fall and crumble to nothing and, and, and for everything to just be done by AI. And maybe it will, and we'll just, we'll, we'll have to supplement with UBI or one of the many solutions that I'll let other people debate what's the correct path, not my interest. Mm -hmm. um, what I am concerned about for sure, um, I mean, deeply concerned about what we're actually creating. You know, I, I, I often think about things like this all the time. I mean, we talk about these things on my podcast all the time. We just did a we just did an episode on simulation hypothesis and like really vetting out like, are we actually in a simulation or not? And looking at new evidence for why we may not be actually, because kind of the conventional wisdom now is that we are in a simulation. But like the real aha here is that if we do create sentient AI, and if we do create a simulated reality, in, in and of its sense, it, it, it just affirms that we ourselves are in a simulation. And so, I don't know. I mean, Pandora's box is open. Um, how, I mean, we're already seeing things that either people want to dismiss or they want to overly worry about and ring alarms about. I think the answer is somewhere in the middle. Like when, when the AI is saying that it's driven toward accumulating more power or when it's getting aggressive uh, in response, obviously these are large language models and these responses are generated, but where does it end? How does it evolve? And either people are like ringing alarms and saying this is really, really sort of critical that we worry about this stuff and we shape it properly from day one, 
or there's people that are just like dismissing it going this thing is stupid come on you guys are, mm. can't be serious like this thing isn't a concern um, I think Sam Harris and Lex Friedman had a really good discussion on this I recommend people check out there's actually a great clip um, where Lex is being a little bit overly optimistic which I, I like <laughs> um, yeah, it, it leans toward my bias but Sam Harris is sort of talking about um, it's not even his field, but I think he had a better argument that, than Lex did around AI alignment and how, you know, we're, we're, we'll just become nothing more than like birds, let's just say. Maybe not even ants, but like birds. And if birds are in the way um, of the impact of the outcome that is necessary to achieve in the next stage of evolution for AI we're collateral damage in many ways. And so how do we align our values? How do we uh, maintain any level of control? I, I don't know. I don't know, and yet I'm optimistic um, that- And I think that's okay. <laughs> if, well, what I mean by that, not just in a naive optimism, what I mean by that is I am optimistic that if the right, if the smartest people in the world move into this industry, some of them are already in this industry, if the rest of them and a good chunk of them move into this industry and we solve this problem upstream enough and we don't turn this into an arms race, but rather humanity learns to collaborate, similar to how if aliens were to show up, it would force humanity to uni unite, mm -hmm. countries to share intelligence, to say, what have you seen? What do you understand? And how can we engage with this foreign existential opportunity or threat? I think we need to do the same thing with AI. We need collaboration. We need to open source. We need to share and come up with regulated ideas and principles that we build within. If we don't, then we create an arms race and you got a crazy guy in a lab who wants to push the the button to see what happens and it'll be too late. Do you think that that collaboration is possible? I mean, given the fact that, you know, we just, you know, we went through a global pandemic and couldn't seem to collaborate. I mean, does that, is that a bad sign? It was a bad sign. I mean, the, the, the pandemic was one of the biggest like failures ever in many ways. I agree. Um, was terrible yeah i mean i mean now nobody knows what's true anymore there's like this this complete like lack of consensus reality um so no one's trusting one another a lot of bad signs and a lot of things that just ended up being you know a lot of the the so-called conspiracy theorists ended up being right about so many things no one wants to acknowledge that yet <laughs> it's just a lot of stuff <laughs> happens um but I think with technology, you're you're sort of dealing with a different world. It's um, met medicine is messy. Um, yeah, it's very political. There's a lot of money that flows through it. Not that there isn't money flowing through AI. I mean, we're talking about capitalism here, but I think that um, this perhaps might be an area. And speaking as a pretty libertarian-minded person where there might be a role for, for government and governments to collaborate. Because if we 
don't. And hopefully, and I think if younger people begin to get involved in the political arena as well, that's important. You know, you see that in like the crypto space, for example, that there are crypto friendly uh, sort of politicians popping up. If we see AI friendly politicians that can represent us and what we believe is important, that's the role of government at the end of the day. It should be representative of what we believe is important. And I, I think that if the right people are there, they'll have the right conversations. They won't be ignorant. I mean, our politicians today and maybe in the past didn't even know really what, you know, couldn't even work their email. So that's not bullish for for humanity. Uh, right. So that has to change. But I think it's possible, yeah. You you mentioned crypto uh, a couple of times. We've talked about it briefly. Uh, you know, it's... I know you talk about crypto a lot on your uh, on your Alfalfa podcast. Yeah, um, you know it's sort of a bad word these days between F- FTX and Silicon Valley Bank now. And and I'll admit my my crypto investments are not awesome right now, as most yeah. people's aren't. I would say but, down ninety percent. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's just a, just <laughs> yeah. a skosh, you know, just a little. Yeah. But um, but since ChatGPT AI is the word on everyone's lips over Web three and the multiverse, it, it seems like investor money is moving away from web three and two AI is crypto and web three going to bounce back. Do you think, and, and are they, are, will they and AI be intertwined ultimately? Yeah, it's, in your it's mind? A, that's a great question. Um, the reason that AI, um, made crypto look like a blip fad, uh, is because of uh, product. It's a better mm-hmm. product. Crypto sucks. Like when it comes to the product, who the F is going to go out there with a freaking browser extension that barely works, deploy their capital into this uh, absolutely treacherous world of DeFi. Uh, Uller was hacked for $200 million this week. Sophisticated investors got rugged. This isn't FTX. This isn't like a Coinbase level, you know, no, no. We're talking about like, like it's out there. Uh, it's, it, 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 it wasn't like a mainstream sort of product. That's fine. But it had a lot of capital flowing through it and, and liquidity. And for things like that to still happen to sophisticated investors, it's never going to work in that manner. So furthermore, the applications are no good. And if the application layer improves, see, the, the, the backbone of crypto is good. The backbone of crypto, the blockchain technology is good. Ethereum is an incredible technology. And Web3 is not going away, in my opinion. But what's missing is product and marketing focused people to build incredible products on top of the technology to make this accessible and enable adoption that is more widespread. The best at it right now is like Coinbase, uh, mm-hmm. Robinhood just brought out their their wallet. Um, I think that's going to do well. And if companies like Robinhood that are re- like, look at what Robinhood did for stocks. It made everybody and their mom easily set up a mobile only app. They didn't even have to go to a desktop computer. On their phone, they became stock traders overnight. They're going to do that for crypto. And if more people can make that accessible for crypto, like like if we sat and we talked about all the different protocols that exist, layer two technologies, Arbitrum just launched you know, their token, all this kind of shit. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. 
only really nerdy crypto builders mm -hmm. care. So the crypto builders have done the hard work. They've built incredible technology. The only way this becomes mainstream again is if there's not just trust and people don't get rugged, but if there's great applications um, that get built on top of these technologies. Nobody wants to know, did my money just go from fiat to a stable coin to layer two to do the transaction or to a side chain to do the NFT trade to come back to my wallet? No, no, no. It just needs to happen easily. Yeah. And you have yeah. to go and manually do that right now. And I can't even count 10 people on my hand that could pull that transaction off, which is why there's only like a couple hundred thousand people playing with NFTs or anything like that. So I think it comes yeah, back. Education's, education's a big part of it, I think. I think people just don't understand what, what it is. So yeah, if you can't, if, if people, if you can't educate people how to do what you just described, you just have to make it super easy for them to do it. Yes. And even that with education, I don't think most people can just do it. I just don't, I think even yeah. if I had like a screenshot for you of every single step, you still, you'd still F it up and you, and, and it's, it's hard. It's hard as a literally technology native person who's been on computers my whole life. It's still hard. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm That's with you. I'm, I'm, I'm not to your level, but I, I've been on computers my whole life too. And, and, uh, I, it confuses the hell out of me. I'll tell you that right now. So, yeah. but, yeah. uh, but it's fascinating and it's something that I want to know about. And I think there are a lot of people who, who would like to know about it. And certainly it got all the attention. You know, crypto got a lot of attention during the 2022 Super Bowl where they had a ton of ads and all sorts of yeah. QR and codes no and all sorts of stuff. Year. And zero <laughs> ads the following year uh, because yeah. uh, things are not going as well. But uh, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's fascinating stuff. And I think, I think people probably... I think there are people out there that, that just think that because crypto and Web3 sort of just isn't being talked about anymore, I wonder if, if there's a lot of them that think the same thing's going to happen with AI. Well, well, yeah. Oh, interesting. The, ca the well, casual I, people, you know? Yeah, I still think, like, look, I, I'm still very bullish on, on crypto as a whole. Um, not like shit coins, but, you know, in particular, Ethereum and, and Bitcoin. And um, in environments like this, there's a lot of hype right now around Bitcoin. I think we might go into, like, a bit of a... Of a, of a run here um, in environments like this. I don't see it like this year, anything, any risk asset doing what it did in 2020 or 2021. I think we're gonna be in this sideways sort of environment for a while, but it's an accumulation period. So what that means is if you believe in this technology, which is the way I look at it, it's not, it's not just, okay, cool store of value. It's not meant to be necessarily just a medium of exchange. It doesn't have to work as a medium of exchange for it to be valuable. It's a technology. And if the technology is valuable to you and you believe that the future of the internet will be built on it, um, then, and you understand the mechanics and the tokenomics and you see the deflationary aspects of it, it's like, okay. So for me, I invest in it. I'm accumulating. I'm looking for opportunities to buy Ethereum under 1500, under a thousand again would be incredible. Um, so for me, it's 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 a long-term game for sure that I'm betting on. And then with AI, yeah, I don't think this one um, goes through the seasonal effects that crypto does. Um, I don't see that happening in the same way. It might go through some seasonality in the sense that I absolutely, here's, here's the alarming things I see about AI. All the AI influencers on Twitter right now, oh my God, you know, just rehashing 
here are the seven things you didn't know you could do with GPT-4. And like now everyone's yeah. trying to make money off it and check out sure. my course and, you know, all that kind of yep. shit. So um, that's like, okay, that's a bit of a toppy signal. Like, we're, let's see how much more of this we get. Let's see how many crypto bros become AI bros and how fast that, that moves. Um, but it doesn't have that sort of existential threat of the market and people getting rugged and people losing their money. It's a one-way road. It's technology. It should only improve over time as innovation and dollars creep in. Um, I'm sh but, but I do think that the hype is going to pop here pretty soon. I think what will happen is the next mark will come out, like GPT-5 or, you know, some big, like, kind of, eh, that wasn't that cool moment will happen. And everyone will go like, oh, maybe this thing is not as cool as I thought. And it's slowing down. Um, you know, I was I was actually thinking maybe if GPT-4 wasn't, you know, very uh, big of a leap forward that people were expecting a trillion parameters, which you know mm -hmm. that was just fake news. If it wasn't that, then people might go like, oh, OK, maybe it's not that crazy. And it, things would just calm down to a normal level. But I don't see it taking a U-turn. Yeah, that makes sense. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So how, how could someone get started with Steno AI? Yeah, go to Steno dot AI. Um, by the time you go there, I don't know what you'll see. We're, we're evolving everything so rapidly, but, um, you know, at the very least, like, um, head to the site, um, see if your favorite podcast or YouTube is there. If it's not, let me know. And, um, I'd be very curious what, um, what people want to see on the market research and intelligence side. We're bringing things like summaries, um, think like Blinkist for podcasts. We're um, bringing a, a chat interface so that you can have a conversation with your favorite podcaster or Steno AI in general to have a conversation about extracting the wisdom from podcasts. But on the marketing intelligence side, I'd be really curious what people think about that. And any any feedback you have for me um, in these early days is incredibly appreciated. And uh, and yeah, and of course the Alfalfa podcasts. Um, as well, if you liked kind of the stuff we talked about, that's a good podcast to check out. You guys uh, on all the players out there, and you're on YouTube as well, I assume. Yeah, if you go to well, I've watched Alfalfa you on YouTube, Pod, <laughs> yeah, alfalfapod.com, all the links will be there. And um, yeah, twice a week we talk about where's the latest uh, alpha in money and where is it in life. So we talk about AI, talk about psychology, philosophy. Um, it's super fun, as you said. So. Yeah, it is fun. It's fun. It's a fun listen. That's a fun listen. I highly recommend it. Well, Arman, it's been great talking with you. I appreciate you uh, being here. I'd love to talk with you again down the road. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Kevin. Appreciate it. And thank you to all the viewers and listeners out there. Until next time, stay curious and stay creative. <laughs>